I'll return to the gospel in a moment, but I want to begin with the New Testament reading for the day, which is Philippians 4, near the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, written, remember, from prison. Paul is writing this while in chains. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think it's possible to hear this passage in in a way that makes you bristle, in a way that makes you defensive and even perhaps resentful. Rejoice seems like something someone shouldn't command you to do. Rejoice, Paul says. And again I say, rejoice. And then he not only insists on your rejoicing, but then tells you not to worry about anything. It's possible to hear this as as a kind of overzealous, obnoxious piousness, right? Trying to force you to act like you should. To force you to, to be Christian. To be blessed and not stressed. Rejoice, he says. And and there is, I think, a way in which those of us who've been shaped in Bible Belt Christianity, kind of middle America Christianity, there is a way in which we can bristle at the commands of Scripture to rejoice. It It can seem as if what we need is to be more honest about the situation that we're in, right? And again, if we're formed in a kind of Christianity that wants us to present a certain way, that wants us always to seem happier than we in fact are. It can sound like we're being told to put on a good face, that we're being told to look happy even if we're not happy. Rejoice, and don't complain about anything. But that, I think, is a a deep misunderstanding of what Paul is saying to the Philippians and what Scripture is saying to us and what this season calls for in us. This is, this is the season of Advent. We are looking forward to the coming of Christ. Already, of course, he's come to us. Already he's with us. That's how we can look forward. But we're looking forward to Christmas. We're looking forward to the kingdom breaking in. And in this season, we can rejoice. Not simply wait on the rejoicing. We can rejoice now. We can rejoice in expectation, in anticipation of what's to come. But let's, let's think for a little bit about what kind of joy... Paul is calling for here, and what it looks like not to worry, but to trust in the Lord, to offer our requests to God. One way of getting at it, I think, is this notion of gentleness. Paul says again, rejoice, again I say rejoice, let your gentleness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. Gentleness is a a difficult idea to get our minds around. It's a, it's a challenging term, in part because in English, gentleness has to do with being genteel, being well-born, having the right genes. So in our world, in, in the English-speaking world, gentleness is usually associated with being of a certain social status. To be gentle, to be genteel, is to have good manners. 
And this is part of the problem I'm trying to address, right? I think all of us feel. When, when you're shaped in a Christianity that's mostly concerned about your manners, then gentleness is not something that arises from the depths of you. It's something you present and hide what's really happening in the depths of you. So there's a way of practicing Christian life. There's a way of being Christian in which you're deeply false to what's actually happening within you. You're presenting to others in a way that seems right. You're putting on a good front. But in fact, what's happening within you is something radically at odds with what others are experiencing from you. And of course, that eventually shatters you. Like if you're constantly living in a way in which you're presenting as having it all together when in fact you're coming apart, when you're presenting as genteel, you're having good manners, but inside you're in turmoil, eventually that contradiction undercuts you. It betrays you. You can't live with that kind of dividedness forever. But that's not what Paul is calling for. That's not what Scripture is inviting us into. It's not a call to be genteel. It's not a call to be well-mannered. This notion of gentleness, I think, is best understood by our word tact. You know, tact is touch. When you think about a good surgeon or a good artist or a good musician or a good athlete, you're always talking about someone with touch, someone who's good with their hands, someone who knows just how much pressure to exert. Not too much, not too little, but having touch, right, is a skill developed, of course, through practice, developed over the long haul, that is the difference between giving life and giving death, right? Think again, surgeon, artist, musician, athlete, touch is everything. So when Paul is saying, let your gentleness be known to everyone, I think it's, it's not at all be mannerly, put on a good face, but have touch in the way that you engage everyone. Be tactful. Think about the jeweler who's faceting a diamond. Tact is everything. The difference between shattering that stone and beautifying it is the difference between having touch and not having touch. And those of you who are parents, our grandparents, those of you who make a living listening and talking with people, those of you who have friends in need, those of you who've been in need and needed friends who knew how to care for you know that touch is everything. So what Paul is saying to the Philippians is rejoice, I'll come back to that in a moment, and handle everyone with care. Live with touch. Have tact in the way that you engage. Right? Know what to say and know how to say it. Now that's odd given our other texts for the day. I, you just heard the gospel. Here's John the Baptist, a wild man, standing in the river. And what is he saying? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It doesn't exactly seem gentle, right? And Paul himself in the passage in which he calls for gentleness starts by saying, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Don't worry about anything, but make your request known to God. So what, what do we make of that kind of juxtaposition? We're being called to gentleness by someone who's telling us to rejoice and not to worry. And we're hearing that in concert with the gospel text in which John the Baptist is calling us vipers, snakes, and asking us who warned us to flee from the wrath to come. 
And then the Old Testament reading for the day is Zephaniah 3, which pictures the Lord as a warrior in our midst. The Lord is the new David in our midst, rejoicing and singing over us. How does all that hold together? Well, to get at that, I want to shift away from my sermon to someone else's. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm sure all of you know him. 1933, it's Ascension Sunday in Germany, in Berlin. And Bonhoeffer preaches a message about joy. 1933, the Third Reich is rising in power all around him. He's in Berlin. And he preaches about the ascension of Christ. And in the heart of that sermon, he says this, the joy of Ascension Day. By the way, the first part of the sermon is the ways in which we have to learn to take joy in the sermon and the sacrament, because this is the way that Christ is present to us. And then he builds to this point. Joy of Ascension Day. We have to become very quiet inwardly before we can even hear the soft sound of this word. Let's sit with that for a moment. We don't often think about joy as a soft sound. We don't often think about joy as something you have to get quiet to hear. Because when we think about joy, we're thinking about, man, I'm steamroller, right? We're thinking of like all, all kinds of energy. The, when we think about Christmas joy, we're thinking about blowing the roof off with song. But Boniface says, again, remember where he is and when he is. Joy is something you have to be very quiet to hear. Joy comes to life in the quiet and the mystery. Indeed, this joy cannot be comprehended, but it is never what we can understand that brings us joy. It is that which we cannot understand, but is true, real, and alive that sets us alight with joy. That is why real joy itself is always somewhat incomprehensible, both for others and for the person who feels it. Joy is simply there. Now think about this for a moment. Here he is. All around him, the world is changing. Literally, the world is coming apart. They're at the cusp of what will be the rise of Nazism, the Holocaust, all of the things that shape the world as we know it today. And right on the cusp of that, he's anticipating the joy of Christmas and telling them this is the joy that comes not from what you understand, but from what you do not understand. It is there. It's always there, but you have to get quiet to hear it. Joy comes like God comes in a manger. And only those who are quietest and stealest can hear it, can feel it. So what, what does that mean for us? Let's come back to Paul's words. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. This is what I think Paul is saying. You're called to joy. You're called to live a life of joy. But you will never get in touch with the joy that is already there in you until you learn to live with touch with the people in need around you. I want to say that again, because really this is the whole sermon. You will never get in touch with the joy that is already there in you. The Christ child is in the manger at the depths of your heart, but you will never hear his little squalls 
until you get in touch with the needs of people around you and you are living with touch with the people who are around you. Notice in this passage, Philippians, Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all, the Lord is near. And this is an offhand reference to all of these passages in the Psalms that speak of those in need crying out for God's help. So an example of Psalm 119, let the afflicted say the Lord is near. Let the afflicted say the Lord is near. Or cry aloud, those of, those of you who are in need, for the Lord is near. This is the way the psalm encourages people to pray. So in the midst of your need, whatever your need is, the word of the psalm is the Lord is near. Trust that your word is heard because God is near you. So when Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all, the Lord is near, what he's saying to you is, you've got to come close to those people who are crying out to God, and you've got to come close to them with gentleness. You've got to come close to them with touch. In the book of Esther, in the Greek version of the book of Esther, which is much longer than the one that's in our Bible, there's a scene in which Esther comes into the king. She's not supposed to come in without being asked, but she does anyway out of a sense of desperation for her people. She comes in, and the king is angry that she's broken the law, and he turns toward her, and she faints. And when she faints, the text says, and the Lord turned the heart of the king to a spirit of gentleness, and he rushed to her and embraced her and said, fear not, I am your husband. That spirit of gentleness is what Paul has in mind. There's someone in need, and your heart changes to the heart of gentleness, and you rush to them to bring care. And when you live like that, what you find is joy. So when Paul says rejoice, he's not commanding you to put on a good face. He's not telling you, Act like you're righteous, even if you're not, or act like you're all put together, even if you're not. This is not a command to present as a Christian. What Paul is saying to the Philippians and to us is live with the people around you with the right kind of touch, and you will find you can rejoice. That the joy that is already there in you, the joy that cannot be explained, will leap to life in you. This is the paradox. That's at the heart of our life. You notice the end of that passage in Philippians. Paul says, if you do that, if you live with gentleness with everyone and make your requests known to God, which by the way, it's when you're in touch with other people, one of the things that happens is your prayer life changes. Right? When, and, and this is a way of kind of, a, of getting a sense of your own health. And there are some doctors in the room, and I'm sure the first thing they would tell you is don't Google your symptoms. Right? And those who are spiritual directors in the room would tell you, be careful about Googling your own spiritual symptoms. Right? So you, you, you're not your own best physician. But one way of kind of taking your own temperature, again, don't do this, this is professional, like a professional doing this, so don't do this on your own without talking to a professional. Right? But one way of kind of assessing where you are is to see what your prayers are. If you're not praying at all, that's like not sleeping or not eating. And if you're praying only about yourself, that's like overeating or oversleeping. But a sign that your, your heart is well is that your prayers are touched by the needs of the people you're in touch with. 
That when your heart cries out, it doesn't just cry out for your future or your past or your present, but what is happening to the people who are nearest you, the people you're in touch with. And so Paul says, when you come to live with gentleness, let your requests be known to God. Those requests may not be about you. They may be about others. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. It's such a, it's such a, fa- a fascinating turn. right? Gentleness, joy, prayer... God will guard you with his peace. Do you hear, the, you hear the paradox? You hear the juxtaposition? It's the peace of God that protects you from anxiety. It's the peace of God that protects you from all of the attacks of the enemy. It will guard your heart and mind. It will guard your heart and mind. So that takes us back to the, the, the Old Testament reading, which is Zephaniah 3. Let me, in fact, just let me read a bit of it to you case you haven't heard it yet, which is also about joy and about this juxtaposition of peace and might, or peace and guarding. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The King of Israel, Yahweh, is among you. You need no longer fear harm. The Lord is with you. The Lord is near. You don't need to fear. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. Yahweh, your God, is among you, a warrior who saves. And then suddenly we get another turn, right? a, surpri- a, a shift that surprises us. Yahweh, your God, is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will bring you quietness with his love. He will delight in you with shouts of joy. Think of it. God is among you as the warrior who saves, but he's present as the warrior who saves by quieting you down and singing joy over you. He quiets you down and then sings over you. That's the way in which the peace of God guards you. And so... Let me try to hold all this together in the last few lines. I don't know where you are, like spiritually, emotionally, right now. I don't know what this season is doing to you. And and perhaps I'm overreading. Perhaps this is my experience being imposed on you. So if so, then let your request be known to God for me. But I, I think we are in much more desperate place than most of us realize. Maybe many of us do realize it. We are two years in to a global pandemic. We have lived through deep political upheaval in which we, as we do every 40 years or so, have begun to reckon again with our own past. We, as a church are in a time of swift transition. We have been for years. Like quite literally, we've moved. We're we're meeting in a room underground, in a a space that's new. And those of you who've been around Sanctuary for a long time, I mean, we can remember back 
to where we were as a church a year ago, or two, or four, or seven, or ten. Those of you who are new to sanctuary, you're here because your lives have changed. You were somewhere else a year ago, or two, or four, or seven, or ten. And under those pressures, political pressures, social pressures, there are financial upheavals that touch all of us. There are relational breaks and fractures that alter our life. There are new friendships that come and old friendships that go. And what we lose is the joy. The joy that makes this life possible, this life of following Jesus possible. And what my heart is for you, the request I'm making known to God for you, for all of you, and for myself, is that in this season we would come back to joy. Come back to joy. But we cannot do that. We cannot do that until we get quiet enough to realize joy is nothing we manufacture. I cannot will myself to joy. I cannot put on a good face. The last thing you need in this season is to try to grin and bear it. The last thing you need in this season is to exert yourself with one last push of strength and try to put on a good face. What you need, what I need, is to quiet down in the presence of the Lord who sings and listen. The Lord is with you. The Lord is in you. In the depths of your spirit, there is a baby boy wrapped, swaddled in a manger. And that joy, the joy of the Lord, is your strength. But in order to be in touch with that strength, you've got to stop trying to handle everything. Stop trying to manage, put your hands on everything, and live with touch. What's needed may seem like the opposite of what you're being told to do, but what's needed is not more but less. What's needed is not more energy, but restraint. And restraint not only with yourself, but with others. This is not really a sermon properly, but let me say this and then I'll just stop. I think around, and, and I could be mistaken here too, obviously, but I think around holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, when we're kind of forced to be with family, or shit, that's probably shouldn't, well, the way I should say that. Um, <laughs> when we are welcomed into the space of family. I think all of those anxieties about what kind of life am I living, I think they rise. Some of us feel that mostly as children. Like even if we're adults, we still feel the pressure of our parents pulling us up to the life they want for us. We feel handled. And those of us who are parents feel it a different way, which is we want to handle we want to shape the lives of people around us. We want to shape up the lives of people around us, beginning with our own kids. 
But Advent and Christmas is about learning to live with touch, not pressuring anyone into the life you want for them, but with open hands interceding to the God who can give them the life that they need. And what you need to do for others, others need to do for you. So hear me. What the Lord wants for you this Advent and this Christmas is for the pressure to come off. The Lord is tactful. The Lord, the pressure you feel on your life is not the spirit. The pressure you feel on your life is coming from every other spirit but the Holy Spirit. God is handling you gently. And if you can quiet down just a little, you'll hear his song. Amen.